Why, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan with pureandsimplebible.com, and I am very thankful to be again with you this week in a discussion with Timothy Ballard about building the family altar. Now, we switched roles, so that means Timothy was asking the questions and I was answering them. And this is part two of a three series on the family altar, which probably means I shouldn't be the one who's answering the questions because I do a whole lot of talking. However, the content is really solid. The scriptures that we talk about in today's episode, I think, are going to be very helpful. Building this mindset plus practice of what the family altar is. I really think it's good for our families to hear, and I uh, am thankful to present the information to you. So, if you remember last week, we talked about building ancient altars. And we looked at it in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus and Joshua, about the five uses of the ancient altar. That was blood sacrifice, thanksgiving sacrifice, and then monuments of witness and unity and inquiry. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to compare the ancient altar to the family altar, this figurative altar that we build. And we'll look at the mindset and practice of the family altar and how it it also shows us those five uses to bring families near to God. Let's all listen together and study together as we consider the mindset and practice of building a family altar. But for them to hit, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 and just say, I'm going to go be a proficient song leader, prayer leader. I'm going to start studying my Bible like a champ. Mm Mm-hmm. That's naive to think that all of a sudden mm-hmm. something clicks in their head. It begins, should begin early. Right. It's an, it's one of my struggles as a preacher is dealing with, with folks who feel like they'll uh, be converted through osmosis. You know, just if I bring them there on Sunday, that one time together is enough instruction for them to go forth unto the world and be salt and light. And it's just not true. So the family altar, like you've mentioned, is a great family opportunity for mindset and practice, right, of bringing people into regular interaction with God. Um, We talked about blood sacrifice. We want our kids, we want ourselves to understand the blood of Jesus. We kind of passed over, but the second one is thanksgiving sacrifice, just like the ancients would be thankful and bring a peace offering to the Lord. You know, our altar is meant as a time to express Thanksgiving, too. And uh, my encouragement to families is you've got to show that you love the Lord. You're excited about the Lord. You're thankful about the Lord more than just in corporate worship. Don't be a Jekyll and Hyde with your faith where you are just, you know, you've got holy hands on Sunday, but then you are just uh, it's like a drought inside your home and there's no prayer. There's no singing. There's no talking. Be one person and and let that person be thankful for what the Lord has done. So that's a great way the family altar helps is it provides a channel to be thankful. Mm-hmm. The one you just have been speaking about was inquiry. And, and I'll say this because I do have a couple of girls and I know that I'm not training them up to to lead worship, but I am training them up to be daughters of the king. And. Our women need to have inquiring minds as much as our men mm-hmm. do. Um. And so the family altar is a great time to ask questions. Uh, we have had questions asked where our son, who is 10 years old, 
is in tears because he's not sure he's going to heaven, you know? And so to get to reassure him that he is okay, you know, that he is, oh, that Jesus said he loved the little children, let them come to him. By the way, if, if I have any Calvinist friends out there that, that disagree with what I'm talking about, I would love to uh, engage with you on it. You can email me, pureandsimplebible.com, uh, gmail.com. But um, more than just, you know, his, but some of my girls ask questions like, uh, where did God come from? And who obeyed God? Or uh, is, there, is there anything too heavy for God to lift, you know, <laughs> since he's so strong? And for your older ones, I mean, I don't have teens yet, but I can only imagine questions about identity like, does God really love me? And do I really love God? It's hard to ask that in church when everybody's dressed up right. and they look nice, but it's, it's a lot easier when you're in the comfort of your home. That's the third one. Fourth one, the unity memorial. This is something that we have to, man, oof, so many things. Families are fractured. Yeah. And, man, what does a family do that has, each person has their own goal? Right. And I think, I mean, there's all kinds of parallels and analogies you can say to, you know, four different generals that are going to lead the army in different directions. And Well, think about it. Think about Alexander the Great, who was one general, and the unity he had, and the moment he died, his four Lieutenant generals split his kingdom four ways and it never recovered. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, family has got to have the same goal. And if they're not united, good grief, I can't imagine the the struggles. Right. And Lord, please, if the the struggle presents itself, may I be ready, but um, I, 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 I hurt for people who, I mean, I can't imagine leaving a kid at home on Sunday morning. Mm hmm. And there are people that deal with that. Right, right. You know, I I wasn't prepared to say anything about this in my notes. Maybe I should add it. But I'm thinking about our blended families, like you just said. Blended families meaning um, the parents, for whatever reason, are no longer together. And one or both of them have remarried. Maybe they have children with their second spouse. And so, you know, think about a, a child who has a blended home where there's two different sets of parents, there's half-siblings, etc. It can be very challenging to wonder how there's any unity in that. And I'm not going to tell you that you can have unity in, a, in, in all home environments where everybody's on the same page. But what any family, blended or true or whatever, can be united on is Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to be. Um, you know, I married into a blended family. And at the time, you know, Marissa had a, a mom and a stepdad and a father. Um, and that blended family was not something I was familiar with. But one thing that we could have unity on was was a love for Jesus. And uh, so any family can have unity where, mm-hmm. when Jesus gets the priority. And that's kind of what we want our folks to consider is put Jesus first. Let him be the, that unity. And things do tend to fall in place. What about the witness memorial? How do we do that as a family? You know, the, the way that they used the witness memorial in ancient times was to look on it and remember uh, what what had happened, you know, what led it to this point. And so, you know, for our witness memorial, we're, we're again, maybe kind of it's similar to the blood sacrifice, but we're wanting to draw people to the sacrifice of Jesus 
We want to witness about what he's done. I know people might not like that term. You know, I want to witness about Christ. But the point is we want to it to be a place of witness where Jesus' gospel is exposed, uh-huh. where the word is opened, because our kids won't stay kids forever. And, you know, I've, I've already got one who is, is asking questions. He's 10. And it won't be long until all three of mine are. It won't be long until yours are. And other families who maybe their kids are not at the age of accountability. And the point is this. Every person who is accountable stands before Christ, and mom and dad can't cover. You know, I, I can't cover mine, and you can't cover yours. And so we have to be witnessing, or they should see Christ in this witness way so that when they stand before him, they'll be ready. Okay, so here's where I'm at. I must make, I must build a family altar in order to save my family. And as I am building this, it is a mindset and a practice. Those two things work together. Yes. It's not just, it's not the physical altar. And as we prepare to define, you know, for, for each person, as they define how they are to implement this, I'm going to say it because you've already said it too. The important thing is you got to use the rocks that you have. That's right. And so when should someone start? We've kind of already mentioned this a little bit, but is it ever too early? Yeah, spoiler. We, we, we did bring it up earlier, but the, the short answer is no. It's never too early. I mean, come on, teens. Uh, be effective in your Bible reading and your praying uh, just for your own personal identity so that when you meet your potential mate, they know that that's a part of who you are. Yeah. And don't wait to find them to start being that person. Now, I'm happily married for 13 years, so for you teens, that means I'm ancient. You know, for those who are older than me, I'm still a newlywed. I get it. But the most attractive thing you can do for your potential mate is to be able to show that you have a spiritual, healthy center. You know, you could be the most attractive person. You can be the smartest, whatever. But to be spiritually sound Man, that's that's mm. something I think any young person is going to want to attach themselves to. There's a scripture that I that I use uh, that that Jesus is motivating a guy to go back to his family. He just healed him, um, and the guy wanted to come with him. and And Jesus said in Mark chapter five verse nineteen, "Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you." And how he has had mercy on you. It's Mark 5 verse 19. And that's a very unique set of circumstances. You know, the guy was a former demoniac. But the concept was go home and tell people what the Lord did for you. And that's what we're wanting to do in our family altar is I want to prepare my heart to go home and tell my family what the Lord has done for me. And in doing that, um, I'm, I'm going to help them, I guess, be prepared to meet the Lord. Okay, Jonathan, you've convicted a listener. <laughs> They've got the mindset. Right, okay. And all they need to do is put their hand on the radio now. And uh, good, good, good. <laughs> okay. How do I bring my family into consistent interaction with God? Okay, good. Good question. Um, we've started with mindset. We've talked about the five uses. But... We need to have some scripture that go along with it. So I'm, I'd like to maybe focus on scriptures, um, and then we'll talk about the practice. And I'll offer some suggestions. So to answer your question, 
um, I'd like to suggest these three scriptures for folks as far as our, um, I guess, the, the, the scriptural proof for how this mindset should work. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That had nothing to do with training others. That had everything to do with self. So here's the first, I guess, mindset principle I would say. You cannot expect to instill a love for God in another until you love God yourself. You can't expect to instill obeying God and others until you obey God yourself. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, about getting the beam out of your own eye before you get the speck out of another. There's, the New Testament is overwhelmingly introspective, where you're primarily focused on getting self-right. Um, I did a study a while ago in Ephesians chapter uh, 6 about servants and masters, and it's one of the only examples in that book of it being about relationships with others Chapters four, chapter five is predominantly like 75 percent about self and then like 22 percent about family and only three percent about um, others. So I know it's kind of a tangent, but the, the concept is from Deuteronomy. I got to love God if I have any hope of wanting to help others. And um, the very next verse, though, once you've got the mindset down for you. Verse seven says. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And if ever there was a time I felt guilty, it's when I read that verse, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I, well, I fail. But don't look at it as just a checklist of four things. The you know, first thing I better do is this, this and this and this. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. I like the word diligent because it means in Hebrew to wet or sharpen like a knife. And so you are sharpening your family. You are sharpening their, their heart, their mind to love God. And that's a continual process. Knife gets dull, you sharpen it again. You know, you, you're, you're constantly preparing Some people it. do. <laughs> <laughs> I walk into homes, I'm like, you want me to cut this carrot with this knife? <laughs> you, I, mean, <clears throat> um, I mean, all knives are great. Yeah, sure. So the the point that I take from Deuteronomy is whether I'm getting up or I'm around the house or going out or going to bed, it should feel natural right. to pray. It should feel natural to talk about God, et cetera. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, on your on my Safari, how you've got, you know, you can save web pages, obviously. Right. And it's just, it's Noah Martin SoundCloud. Boom. There you go. You know, 730. Boom. Uh-huh. And so, um, uh -huh. you know, it's easy. I mean, like, take advantage of the things that are out there. Sure. And I think people are obviously doing that a little bit more recently with having to try to stay connected. No, that's true. So we've, we've got the example from Deuteronomy. Give us a New Testament reference for this. Right. And I think that's important. You know, we are people of the New Testament, um, so we've got to find instruction there. So I use Deuteronomy 6 as kind of a principle. And I think its fulfillment or its parallel in the New Testament is, is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. And it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And, you know, in this verse, obviously it says fathers. Verses like Titus chapter 2, verse 2, talk about our, our 
wives and, and older women instructing the younger, et cetera. And so I do see moms and wives being essential in, in part of the training and instruction. But I'm not going to lean away from what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says. Dad, husband, it's on you. And I don't, I mean, if you're going to interpret that as misogynistic, then I can't help but say what the scriptures say. It is the man's job to be the spiritual leader of the home. If you don't have a male to lead the home, then you pray to God as the book of Psalms chapter, I can't remember, but in just Google search Psalm and it says that he is the father to the fatherless. Right. And so um, you you pray, you ask God to be that for you, mom, if you're alone and you do your best to use the rocks you have. Mm. But dads who are listening to this, please, you've got to know that you are the one who's called. You are called to train. You are called to bring them up. So take that mindset from Deuteronomy of when they rise up and when they go down and when they're on the way, et cetera, and you are shaping the home. Now, obviously, you're not there if you're working outside the home, and so mom has got your back. She's you know, the manager of the home, and she's the one who may be actually doing a lot of the instruction because you're out working if that's the way your home works. I'm kind of speaking in generalities, you know. But the, the concept is I'm not going to get up early, leave for work, come home, be so dog tired that I'm just going to sit in my chair and watch TV for a couple hours and go to bed. That's done. No Christian should ever live that way, period, the end, over. If you're getting up early and you're coming home late, there's a couple of really hard choices you've got to make. One, how do I telecommunicate with my family so that they can be doing this and I can be engaged? Or two, what other job can I get? I mean, dig a ditch and take your family to heaven instead of work 80, 90, 100 hours a week, get a super salary and they all go to hell. Now, it doesn't mean that you know, your, family, your family can go to heaven without you. I suppose. But dads, it's positive encouragement. I'm not meaning it to be negative. I'm wanting you to be proactive. You are called to train. So do it. Yeah. If it stings, don't brush that sting aside. That's that's conviction. That's the beginning of conviction saying, what you just heard didn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not we're not. On any kind of, I didn't have any particular person in mind when I said sure. that. Sure. So yeah. if you thought I was coming after you, then maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Spirit was stepping on your toes through the Word, not me. I'll, one more scripture in this um, section. You know, the mindset that we're hopefully it's almost completely built, and we're about ready to talk about practice. You know, people are wondering what do I do. But just one more, and it's Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That scripture is talking about a babe in Christ, you know, or you know, new people in the faith. So it's more than just members of your family, but certainly members of your family are included there. So if you are neglecting your family to the, their detriment, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck. So we're wanting to positively encourage, especially our father, husband, but the leaders of our homes, uh, you know, grandparents, anybody, anybody who is in a capacity to serve as helping others in the family, take this role seriously and prepare your mind for the practice that we're going to talk about next. Would I give this 
I'm always worried about people who uh, may be a little bit more contrarian or libertarian in their way they raise their families. They're like, who are you to tell me what to do? And that's really not how I want to communicate this. So please know that I'm wanting to offer generalities based on Scripture, and the specifics is really up to you. Some families are very kind of uh, go with the flow, and they're they're doing these things kind of all day long. There's not really a uh, structure to it. And if that's great. If you can, if your family altar structured where you're singing songs with your kids while you're mowing the yard or, you know, like you had said earlier, in traffic, if somebody can do that and that works well for the family, do it. Nobody should feel guilty that they don't do it my way. What I am suggesting, though, is a little bit of structure, just because that's how my family works. We, we like to have structure, and so we plan our time to meet at a specific time in a specific place to do these things. Not to check off a, a list, but rather to make sure our family is, is developing properly. You know, I'll, I'll say for our family, we do kind of like a miniature version of our normal worship services on Sundays. Well, I guess more Sunday afternoon or Wednesday. Right. Um, and each of the boys will pick out a song, uh-huh. and then um, they'll each teach from their little Bible <laughs> and bear, you know, because they have the CD that goes along with it, they do a pretty good job of getting the story, yeah. you're right, and saying some of those Old Testament names. Uh-huh. Kind of surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the order of this, you know, we're going to keep ramming this this idea home of, you know, using the rocks you have. And uh, the way it looks in your family is going to be different from somebody else. But there are probably three things that you would recommend be consistent. Yeah. And kind of like you said, the, the dynamic that you might have on our, I like to call them our courtesy services, our Sunday afternoon, our Wednesday services, you know, those are courtesies that, that most churches that I'm familiar with, Churches of Christ, they like to have just extra t- opportunities together. Um, and they, they sing, they pray, and they have Bible teaching. And that's the family altar as far as the practice. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's no magic formula. It's just spending time in the Bible, spending time in song, and spending time in prayer. So keeping the, the Bible consistent in our family worship, we already talked about Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7. Um, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And when I read that, it's, it's all the time. Right. My, I might not be conversing. I'm obviously not conversing with my boys, my wife, every second of the day. Right. But I, I think about while I'm... At the moment, I'm kind of working in solitude, and it seems like I'm still given an opportunity when I'm alone to at least prepare for that time when I am with them, sure. and you know, dwelling on things that will have a healthy impact on the family. And so, you know, even though we might be alone throughout the day, um, we can still have a family experience of dwelling on the Lord, his word, and delighting mm-hmm. in, in what he's given to us. Right. And so it's easy to get distracted by um, lots of things. And so if we give that much attention mm-hmm. to, I mean, no one questions 7 o'clock soccer practice. No, you're going to be there. <laughs> right. But it I seems question like, it sometimes <laughs> as the parent who's chauffeuring. <laughs> but how do you, it seems like this can easily get pushed to, 
Oh, no, yes. one, no one else is relying on us. This is just our own thing, so right. we can push it to tomorrow, next right. week. Right, right. Well, that's that might, you know, when you've built a mindset of, man, I, I want my family to love the Lord, your priorities shift. And listen, anybody who is a, a Christian out there who's taken the steps to obey the gospel and, and is living the life, you know what it's like to reprioritize. And what we're asking is if you if you've done that in other areas, if you've compartmentalized your life so much where you've done it in other areas, but on this one, it's time to reevaluate and for a radical shift. Let's talk about the concept of consistent. You know, I'm I'm suggesting your family altar is consistent Bible, consistent song, consistent prayer. I don't necessarily call it daily because it could be that, like you said, for example, y'all's is on Monday. Uh, That's consistent doesn't mean it's daily and you shouldn't feel guilty if if the family's not gathered for this thing every day. But I like consistent because I think it fits the biblical narrative. Um, in First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. And, you know, that the concept of pray without ceasing is like 24 seven. Do I ever stop praying? That doesn't seem reasonable. But in the Old Testament, I think it's in Exodus, chapter 30. I'd have to look it up to make sure. But in Exodus 30, they're offering continual burnt offerings to the Lord. But then it quantifies it. It says when the when the sun is coming up and when the sun is going down, you are offering this perpetual offering to the Lord. And so it's perpetual, but it's not happening constantly. It's just consistently. And so I hope that'll encourage our families that whatever the scheduling is, you know, if dad has to work late hours and so he Skypes in or Zooms in or whatever, um, then there should be some consistency to it. That's all we're asking for is, is work on the consistency. It doesn't mean that you should feel guilty if you're not doing it every moment of the day. When they built these altars in the Old Testament, I'm kind of I'm jumping back to that. I don't think that there's an expectation that in a month or two they would move it or an expectation that if someone came over and knocked it over, there was a reverence and there is an expectation that if we build this thing, it's going to be here when we walk back over this Jordan and and witness right. and observe it again. Right. I'm thinking about the Samaritan woman and when she's talking about, is it Jacob's well? Uh-huh. And you mentioned, I didn't know this, but you mentioned at the beginning about there was also this, sometimes they would dig for water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Abraham and, so and Isaac and Jacob were. They had great faith in that. And that thing was. I mean, that great effort had been put in. There was this idea of life giving, you yeah. know, from that from that well. And so. Those things didn't go away mm-hmm. now throughout time, maybe those rocks got stolen to go build so and so's house, you know, a <laughs> hill over. But um, I mean, when I think about consistency, these things were consistent that they never moved. Right. And they stood the storms and they stood so that they could be observed and. Um, and that's what consistency is. It was there day after day after day. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's it's helpful to look back at those ancients that their priority was to build it wherever they went. And so with my family, it should my priority should be to build it wherever I go. Um, let me offer maybe a couple of tips, and and you can as well if you want to jump in here about Bible, prayer, and song. Um, so we talked about. Bible, we use Deuteronomy 6 again, talking about um, making sure that we did it in specific times. But, you know, using the Bible is going to be different for each family. So I just like to throw this out there that you can 
kind of just read through the Bible as a family if you want. Uh, we like to use right now, it's called the easy to read version. It's on a second grade reading level. And um, all three of our kids can now read it. My, my daughter Penelope's in kindergarten, but she reads on an almost second grade reading level. And so she's able to read it. So getting to pass the Bible from person to person and kind of popcorn read. Oh, I can't wait. I've been waiting for that for the oh. past 10 years. And it's so <laughs> satisfying. You know, but for younger families, reenacting Bible stories, telling Bible stories, but actually being Goliath, you know, letting your kid line up in a row. and Each <laughs> of them gets to be David and they have a little sock that they've wadded up and they throw it at, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Um, you know, Dad, you get to be Samson every time. You know, there's there's so many things. Ways that we can bring the Bible to life. Older kids doing, uh, you know, stories where you're kind of or studies where you're outlining scripture together. The Bible can come alive. It doesn't have to be just reading a checklist. What about you? Is there something you want to add to this consistent Bible that we're supposed to be doing? The well, it's going to be easy for us because right now our kids are still five. We don't have them being pulled to other things. We've had conversations and we're, you know, we still think about it. It's like, okay, what happens when they do get asked to play on that baseball team? Right. But I think about Daniel and having a purpose. I think about Joseph having a purpose. And before Potiphar's wife ever hinted at what was going to happen, he knew what he was going to do. Right. And so I'm, I'm trying to get to that place where purposing for this family that we we see our limit we see that ex, that limit of being stretched too far we're going to try to stay away from it but right now what we you know have structured in our home is monday's really we think it's really nice for their ages because they're still kind of coming off the high of sunday mm-hmm. and it's kind of like okay we just did this yesterday they just saw these uh, items of worship take place with everybody, and then here, here's how we do it at home. Right. And then Tuesday, we've got, I think, something on Tuesday night. can't remember. And then Wednesday, we're back together again. Mm-hmm. So that, that has seemed to be uh, Not during the corona us. crisis, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, thinking about prayer, um, I'd like to say a word about it as far as consistent prayer goes. And one of the ways that we engage our kids in prayers to ask you know, about friends at school or their teachers. And so they're t- they're thinking about people that they know. And we've learned about teachers who's had a sibling whose spouse died, friends who've gone to the hospital. You know, we pray for our kids in front of them. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their innocence. We pray that for their future mate. I've prayed for Gabriel's wife since he was probably six months old. Mm-hmm. When I heard of another family that did that, and we wanted to pick up that practice too, so yeah, we want to we want them to to experience prayer through us because it's real easy for a kid. I remember being a kid, and it'd be really easy to be like, "Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Thank you for my toys. In Jesus' name, Amen." We're we're trying to expand them beyond that. And think? I think they, well, they're get shepherds definitely getting that. Um, we had dinner with a some people last night and uh afterwards i mean me and me my wife and the other couple were after he said that prayer i, I mean we were convicted at the end of the prayer <laughs> <laughs> uh, out of the mouth of babes yeah i know um but yeah i'd say you know where where the prayer prayer seemed to be most 
insincere are when they're laying down in bed. Yeah. And so we've <laughs> definitely tried to uh, get those done before. Right. You know, it's nine o'clock and uh-huh. they're wanting to pass out anyway. Yeah. But yeah, they, you know, it gets to the point at the beginning, you know, they're they're not interested in it. But it seems like it doesn't take too long where they're beginning to argue who gets to say the prayer before dinner. Because mm-hmm. now it's of, uh, I don't know, maybe they're experiencing a bit of that joy and blessing from it, mm-hmm. even at such a young age, that it's a blessing to get to pray for others. Oh, absolutely. That, that's the Thanksgiving element of the family altar is your boys now appreciate thankfulness. Yeah. And you would, it even surprises me how sometimes they will pull up that thing that that I missed and that they mentioned. Yeah. Or even several weeks later, they're still being consistent in mentioning uh-huh. so-and-so. Uh-huh. I love it. Well, before we, I know you're the one who's asking the questions, but I wanted to, maybe spend some time on each of these. So consistent Bible, consistent prayer, and consistent singing. This is the one that typically in families, they're the least likely to want to try, especially people who aren't singers. Now, you and me kind of grew up in, in homes that enjoyed singing, and so it's uh, something that was a little bit more natural. But, you know, my admonition to our folks out there is those those scriptures in Ephesians 5.19, uh, uh, and in Colossians 3.16, is to teach one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There is an edification that happens when we sing. And I really need to get my brother on here. He needs to be the one that I interview about the impact of singing. He's got some really neat stuff. So that's maybe coming later in the year. But there's something about singing as far as what it does to our brains when we want to remember things, how it helps us recall emotions, etc., and all of those things are just it's so powerful. Why would we want to keep that out of our home? Mm. And so my admonition to our, especially our dads out there, dad, you, you're really going to put yourself out on a limb if you're not a singer. If you've got, if it's you and your wife and that's it. Or it may be you're a single person in your home alone. You're thinking, why in the world do I have to sing by myself? That's well, what the for shower's for. <laughs> there you go. But uh, especially with families, you know, you're going to sing alto, tenor, soprano, bass, or the joyful noise, Right. And that joyful noise could be off key and you may get really frustrated because it doesn't sound as good as it does at church. But the premise is, you know, David in the book of Psalms said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And he was excited about it. And so we want to be that as well. We want our kids to have that opportunity. Well, we've reached the end of this episode and I hope that it's been helpful for you. This was a great Bible study for me, and it was such a pleasure to get to talk to Timothy about it. It's been such a pleasure to get to preach it at many different places, and I'm hopeful that in the future I'll get to continue to preach it as well if the Lord is willing. We've talked about ancient altars, and now we've talked about the family altar and the mindset and practice of bringing our families before God's throne to encounter the blood sacrifice of Jesus, the thanksgiving that we should have, the time of inquiry, the time of unity, the time of witness that we should have when we come before the throne. And we've also talked about what the family altar is and the scriptures that help motivate us, especially dads, husbands. It encourages us to build our family altar and uh, gives us the idea and the motivation and the scriptures to get started. Now, next week we'll continue with some more motivation and also some practical tips. I think it will be really healthy for you to hear these practical tips 
so that you'll be able to help uh, conceptualize what the family altar is and how to implement it successfully in your home. So you got to come back next week so you can get the third part in this series. Until then, you can go to the website, and I really want you to uh, take that opportunity to go there and check out all the information. Also, if you're listening to this during the months of April and May of 2020, um, I'd invite you to check out my Facebook and YouTube live studies. Uh, I've been doing daily studies during the weekdays, every day at 11 o'clock Central Standard Time. So go check that out on Facebook or YouTube at the Pure and Simple Bible page. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his